I'll likely repeat myself in my message, but uh, last Sunday, if you were here, we began a new sermon series in search of a prophet, in need of a prophet, and we are looking at the prophet Elijah. Uh, Last week, we set the scene in understanding of the coming to reign of King Ahab in his wickedness, and today we will be introduced to Elijah, and that's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, where we will be reading verses 1 through 7 this morning. If you're looking for that on your pew Bibles, that's page 351. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen behind me. Again, in your pew Bibles on page number 351 from 1 Kings chapter 17, first seven verses. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Abram, Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is, east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Going back to my children's illustration, it can be an interesting phenomenon in life when certain things and their uses and purposes that at one point were very well known in a part of daily, regular life get forgotten. They no longer are understood what their purpose is or what they were used for, and so they just get completely neglected, and their function and their purpose fades from society. Now, sometimes that happens, like the cassette tape, because of changes in technology. We no longer listen to music on records or 8-track or cassette tape or CDs, but we have much better, more easily accessible technologies to access music. But what happens with technology can happen in many different stages of life. Think of organizations that at one point see a need that has to be fulfilled and so they hire someone or they set up an organization or a committee to attend to that need. But as time goes on and the needs change, the function of that group also changes before long. They no longer really understand why they exist or what they're supposed to be doing. And that fades from memory. And to the point that I made with our young kids, that gets especially scary when it comes to the word of God. When God's word and his directions and his instructions, his definitions for what things are and how they are to function, when they get forgotten, it gets scary when we no longer look to him to guide us, but we forget why and how he designed certain things. Well, as I said, last week we did begin this new sermon series on in need of a prophet. 
recognizing that when Ahab came to power, he was, as it described, one who did more evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Recognizing that it was a particularly wicked time, noted because God's word had been forgotten, ignored, and neglected. Seen in how they were turning not to God and Yahweh, the true Lord of Israel, but were elevating worship of Baal as the state religion of the day. And how when Jericho was rebuilt, it was evidence of the fact that God's word had indeed been neglected. And as we continue in in many ways as another introductory sermon series this morning, we recognize that a major part of that was not just because God's word had been forgotten about how to treat idols or how or whether to rebuild Jericho, but even the role and function of a king had been forgotten. You see, for Israel, they were always supposed to remember that as we sang in our songs this morning already, that God alone is the king above all kings, the king of the universe. He was the one who held all power and authority, and it was his laws that were to be applied in the direction of the people's lives and how they were supposed to live for him. And therefore, at any point that a human king was standing above God's people, his role was to be a representative, an under-king, a servant to God as king. And his function was supposed to physically represent God, but to serve God in that role, to point people to the greater authority that was God. And that is defined for the Israelites and was defined for the Israelites long before any king sat on a throne. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, they were told, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed Set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all of the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brother's And that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now notice the things that are mentioned or highlighted in that brief description of what a king was supposed to be. He's not supposed to be a foreigner. God was to choose this among the Israelites to lead as a part of God's community. He was not to have many wives distracted in his attention. He wasn't to acquire for himself great possessions because that would make him proud of who he was. And he was supposed to be a humble leader, not elevating himself among his brothers, but serving 
his brothers in that role. And as an important part of that, daily he was to meditate on God's law so that it would be the rule by which he lived his life and how he governed other people. But it didn't take very long before that all fell apart. The day did come when the Israelites said, we do want a king like all of the other nations. And in the end, that was exactly what they got. A king like all of the other nations. Samuel had warned them that the king was going to do exactly what the kings of the other nations did. He would take from the people. He would use them as their possessions. He would elevate himself and he would not lead well. But despite that, the people called for one. And very quickly we saw, again, that these leaders wandered from the role that they were supposed to have and how God had defined this role to doing everything exactly opposite of what he had instructed. In fact, by the time we get to Ahab, we see that he had broken almost all of those instructions. In marrying a foreign woman, he had many wives and he submitted to, he was distracted by their worship. Instead of honoring God and leading according to his law, he honored the Baal and he elevated him in worship instead of God in his laws. And as I mentioned the honoring and elevating of the false god of Baal, uh, let me also take this moment to remind you of what I said about who Baal was. Uh, the reason why they worship Baal is because, as I said last week, Baal was the god of storms. He was the god that would provide rain for the crops. And so if you wanted your crops to grow, it was Baal that you would worship in order for the rains to come. Now, that sounds really strange in the ears of us modern people. And how did they think that by worshiping this, this idol, this image, that, that rain was going to fall from the heavens and that would bring the rain? And yet, as much as we can be critical of their religious practices of the day, I wonder if we do the very same thing so often. When we want rain, where do we look? How much does our culture encourage us to sacrifice to the idols of climate change so that the rains will come? Or do we just depend on our own strength and our own technology where we don't need the rains any longer, but we will, through our own power, make sure the water gets to where it needs to be? Or what about other struggles in life? Where do we look for answers? When you want comfort... Do you find comfort in the word and the presence of God, or do you find comfort in the distractions of this world? If you want rest, do you come on this day of rest to the house of the Lord morning and evening to rest in the presence of God, or is this too much and you want to rest in other ways? In how many areas of life do we look not to God for the things that he is giving us and providing but to other things that aren't God and ask them to do what really only God should do. And that's exactly what is this story is all about. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, when the king is failing to live up to his role, the one who was sent to represent God in the political sphere, when he failed in that, God would provide another role, another person, a prophet, to come along and to correct 
and to rebuke those kings that had wandered and strayed from God's word. And that's exactly what the role of a prophet was. A prophet was one who was sent by God to bring and apply the word of God to the contemporary circumstances that the people were living in, especially when the people had wandered from that word. So we think of a couple of examples around the time of Ahab that we're looking at. We think of how in, uh, is it first or second Samuel? Second Samuel chapter 12, when David had violated Bathsheba and killed her wife Uriah, the prophet Nathan was sent to confront and rebuke David in his sin. Or just earlier, in the examples that we were looking at last week, at the beginning of 1 Kings 16, the prophet Jehu was sent to confront the king Baasha in his slaughtering of the, all of the people of Jeroboam's family. And he told them that in punishment, he would have his entire family slaughtered in the same way, which not too many years later is exactly what took place. But those are examples of typical things that when the king wandered and strayed, God would send this prophet who would say, here is the word of the Lord that you have forgotten and that you had neglected. And so now, when there is an especially wicked king, Ahab, on the throne, God meets that need of the day by sending his prophet, the prophet Elijah. Now, to be clear, in this text that I read this morning, this is the very first time that Elijah is ever mentioned. And I say that because in many ways, he just comes out of nowhere. Uh, we don't have any introduction to his background. We are not told of his lineage or his previous occupation. We are given no credentials. He just shows up out of nowhere which isn't that uncommon for the prophets that we have seen glimpsed showing up from time to time throughout the Samuel books and the Kings. But it seems strange because Elijah is going to play such a significant role. The only thing we are told is that he comes and was born in the land of Tishba. But in the end, what we will find out is the only true credentials that he needed was a willingness to listen to and obey the word of God. And so, again, during this season that was especially wicked, God sent the prophet Elijah, a name that means my God is Yahweh, to bring his word to confront the king that had lost his way. And that's exactly what Elijah does. He goes before Ahab and he brings the message. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And we will recognize that God is taking on Baal in his own home court. Baal was supposed to be the bringer of rain, and so God says, all right, Israel, if you're going to look for Baal to provide rain, I am going to remind you that it is not Baal that provides the rain, but me. And so to prove that, I'm going to shut off all of the rain in judgment of you. Now, when we think of prophets, very often what we think about are those who, who tell the future, that God somehow gives them this incredible insight and events that are about to come through visions and through whisperings that only they can hear. And while that is true in certain circumstances, more often 
What a prophet does is actually look backward. He looks to the words that God had already provided, and he applies those words to the current circumstances. And that's exactly what Elijah is doing right here. So, for example, if you go back to Leviticus 26, in verses 3 through 5, God had told the people, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season. And the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last in the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land securely. But then later in verses 18 through 20 of Leviticus 26, it says, And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Similar statements can also be found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so when Elijah stands before Ahab, he's not just coming up with this new vision, but he's looking back to what God had already warned and what already had been said and what the people could have and should have known because they were instructed in and meditating on God's law. And Elijah is saying, you forgot that word. And because of that, since God's word is never spoken in vain, that judgment that God had warned about will come true. That God keeps his promises. Whether those promises are good and promises of blessing, or whether those are promises of warning and judgment. So what Elijah is doing is he's saying, you have wandered, and therefore that judgment is going to come. Now, as soon as Elijah spoke the word of correction, Another word of God comes to him where he is told to leave the place and to flee to the brook of uh, Cherith. And that's where Elijah hid himself until the brook dried up, which probably took at least several months, if not a couple of years, where Elijah was living in hiding all by himself alone. And you might wonder, well, if he's bringing this word, if he's a prophet of God, why would he remove himself for so long a period of time? Why would he flee? Now, there's two answers to that. The obvious answer is to preserve his life. Uh, very soon, we're going to be learning about how much Ahab hated Elijah for words that he brought of judgment and how much Ahab blamed him for what was taking place in Israel rather than looking at himself and at his own flaws. And so fleeing to this area on the east of uh, the Jordan River would protect and preserve his life. But I also agree with the commentators that suggest that there's something symbolic happening here as well. When we choose to ignore God's word over and over again, God will at times remove his word for a period of time. And so when King Ahab would do what the other kings had done and seek God's direction for whether or not to engage in this battle or war or whether or not to make this or that decision, 
God says that he's not going to respond to the pleads of Abraham because the word of the Lord had left in the person of Elijah. And I think that can happen to us as well. When we repeatedly sin against God, when over and over again we ignore his revealed will and we say, I'm not going to do what you want to tell me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. I do believe that there are times and periods that when we approach God in prayer and say, Lord, give me direction, he doesn't answer those prayers. In essence, saying, I have told you clearly how I want you to live, and if you're going to ignore all of those clear commandments, why should I answer your prayers about your needs at this time? Because you have a history of ignoring my word. And so in Elijah leaving, what we are seeing is not only is there going to be a drought of rain in this area, but there will be a drought, a period of the absence of God's word instructing and guiding the people because they had ignored it for so very long. But through that time, we also see that God is going to provide and preserve his word in the person of Elijah. Just as God had protected the people of Israel through their 40 years of wandering in the desert by daily providing for them bread in the form of manna every morning, while Elijah is hiding by the brook Cherith, God would provide for him a double portion. Every morning and every evening, the ravens would bring to Elijah bread and meat, and he would be sustained by the brook until it dried out. Now, it might be really tempting for us to say, well, there's a really easy application. We can identify with Elijah. He was a godly man. We are godly people. And so the promise is that when hard times come, God's going to provide and preserve and protect us. But I think that's oversimplifying things to an extent. Because as much as we celebrate how God preserves Elijah during this time, we have to remember that there were many other faithful believers who were affected by this drought drastically and suffered and struggled, who never once saw a raven bringing them anything to eat to preserve them. And so we also, I think, have to see in this how God is not necessarily providing and protecting the person of Elijah, but as a representative of God's word, we see God preserving his word. That the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And if people ignore it or forget it, God would never allow his word to completely disappear. Now, I imagine there are some of you who are looking at the clock and are also thinking back, you know, last week it sounded really exciting. We were going to talk about contemporary situations and struggles and all these things. And yet this week, all I'm hearing about is kings and roles and, and distant lands I'm not familiar with. So what is the point of all of this? And, and is there anything in this description of the introduction of Elijah that can apply to us? And I do think that there are answers to that question that I want to highlight uh, this morning again. First of all, I have to start where we ended last week, and it's going to be a constant refrain because it's a thing that can never be forgotten and must be repeated over and over again. The word of God cannot be neglected without consequences. 
And it is so critical that we are sustaining and staying in that word of God, knowing it and using it to guide our lives in everything. God gave us his word because he says, this is the path for you to live the best, most blessed life. And when you ignore this path, you are doing so to your own peril. And how often... In neglecting God's word, do we invite all kinds of struggles and problems into our lives that need not be there because we've either ignored or forgotten what God has given in his word in terms of instruction? Related to that, I think, again, we need to hear that if we are in the habit of ignoring God's word, well, then we shouldn't be asking for extra help in that word. Again, if our prayers are, God, direct me in this question where I am lost for an answer, and yet we have been in a habit of ignoring God's word, there will be times where God says, I'm not going to bring you instruction or direction. I will feel absent from you because you are in the pattern of ignoring me. And that direction from God's word, I think, applies to the roles that we play. Today is Mother's Day. And it's very tempting to look at Instagram and our culture to try to help us understand and define, well, what is a mother supposed to be and what makes a good mother? And yet, that's a role in which the Bible has answers to those questions. And so we, do we know what the Bible says about what it means to be a godly mother? And is that where we are setting our standard? Or is it the standard of the world? And I mention that just because it's Mother's Day, but that's just one of the many roles that the Bible describes. It tells us how to be husbands and fathers, how to be sons and daughters. It instructs us in, in being Christians and in just being people in this world, how to live in the family units that God has designed for us. And yet, those are roles that oftentimes we forget that God's word has direction. And in forgetting, our culture has wandered far from what it means to be a man or a woman or a mother or a father or a child living as God calls us to live within those roles. So the encouragement is, in the roles that God has given to you to play, how are you defining whether or not you are succeeding in those roles? According to culture or according to God's word, is that what is directing and guiding you? And we need to return again to God's word to know what those roles are all about. And then I also think we need to be challenged in the area of where are we looking for our hope? As the people of Israel turned to the God of Baal to provide for the rains that they wanted and the worship of the Asherah in order to do the same, what do we often look to to give us what really only God should be looked to to provide? What are the things that we are tempted to give too much of our hearts, our devotion to, rather than God in doing what only he can do for us. Now, as I say that, I also leave with a word of hope from this text. You see, the problem that was for Israel was they were longing for the king that was serving them as he was supposed to serve them. And no human representative did that well. Even the great King David clearly violated many of the things that God had instructed of what a king should be. 
as close as he was and maybe as best as he was as an example of following that. And in that hunger for a king, we are so blessed to see the true king come to this earth. One who all of the glories of heaven he was willing to sacrifice and he humbled himself, becoming like us. And that he had the authority over all things being proven in the way that he committed, he did his miracles to bring healing. And especially in the miracle of his resurrection, proving that he had authority even over death itself. And so we today get to celebrate that we have seen the true king, the Lord Jesus come. And in recognizing his lordship, we not only acknowledge that he is king over all things, but we are invited to submit to him as our king. That again, we should live in accordance with his word and in following the example that he set in service to his kingdom as we seek to serve him. And not only is he the great king, but he is the perfect prophet. When we want to know what God's word is and how it should be applied to our lives, we look only to Jesus as the one who brought that word and that instruction, challenging us in how we are to serve the poor, how we are to look after the broken, how we are to be a people of forgiveness and hope and grace, the same forgiveness and hope and grace that he brought to us. So the encouraging word is where Israel was hungering for that perfect king and prophet. We have found them in the person of Christ. And so we serve him and look to him as the guide of our lives. What a gift that our God has instructed us in how to live. On how we are to fulfill the roles we have given. Let us never neglect that gift. We do so only to our own uh, problem or struggle. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do sit among you or before you as those that have rebelled against your authority and of your rule. Uh, we so often have forgotten how you have guided and directed, and rather than looking to your word, we look to the instructions of culture in order to find out and figure out how we want to live and what will bring us happiness and what it means to play out the roles that you have given to us. And I pray that we would repent of that and we would return to your word that we would know it and apply it to our lives. Lord, in that, we thank you that you have sent us Jesus, that perfect king and that perfect prophet who has instructed and opened up your word and expanded upon it so that we can understand it. And I do pray that we would be your servants, that we would humbly submit to you, and that as you hear, as we hear your word proclaimed, that our answer would be yes, and that we would live for you, bringing light and salt to this broken, hurting, and dark world. This we pray in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.